The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number to get a hold of Savan anytime, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to uh, toss us an email here during the show. We'll get to all those, a few of those anyway, as we progress. We'll give you details on the injury calculator and uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. Those are both wonderful resources uh, with which we will expand upon very shortly. Week that was is how we start, though. What's up? Well, John, let me tell you about two interesting yep. cases. So one involves a long-term disability case, and it involves a lady by the name of Lauren. She called me last Thursday. She's been listening to the show for the past three months, and her husband told her to call me. Why? Now, she's been on disability for three and a half years. Her insurance company is insisting that she try to go back to work, and she can't. She has a spine condition that doesn't allow her to stand or sit for more than 20 or 30 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. She's 51 years old, used to work as an accountant at a large downtown accounting firm. And she's tried to go back to work several times, and she failed. What does that mean? It means she tried to go back and was unsuccessful. Her condition just doesn't allow her to be able to sit and do her job. Uh, so she wanted to know if, if you know, there's a point of her continuing to try to go back to work because she's tried that several times. And, of course, the employer is getting frustrated, and she's getting frustrated. And, and, and you know, her doctors have said no repeatedly. They've said every time you try to go back to work, don't do it. You're not ready yet. So, you know, the answer when she called me is, no, you absolutely do not have to continue trying. If your doctors are supporting your ongoing disability, if you know that you've done your best uh, and you simply can't go back at this point, the insurance company cannot force you. It doesn't matter how many threats they make. It doesn't matter, you know, if if they tell you that if you don't do it, we're going to cut you off. Legally, they're not allowed to do it. Uh, and, And what I told Lauren is that, look, I'll write to the adjuster. I'll communicate with the adjuster on your behalf. You don't have to worry about it. And of course, John, as I've mentioned in other cases, that is a huge, huge source of tension, uh, of, of panic for people when they get that phone call or that email from the adjuster telling them you have to do X, Y, and Z. And they know that they can't or that they've tried, they've given it their best efforts, and they're still getting pushed by the adjuster. And it's only exacerbating their condition uh, because oftentimes it's not just a physical issue that they're dealing with. It's a psychological one, right? I mean, you are down on your luck. You are uh, battling with this disability. You don't need somebody else to tell you that you haven't tried hard enough when you know that you had. So in this case with Lauren, I told her, I'm going to take care of it. I'll deal with the adjuster. Trust me, a few emails from me perhaps a phone conversation, and they're going to be off your back. And if they're not, then we're going to take other measures. The point is that you're going to have this protection. You're not going to have to deal with them directly. Let me deal with the adjuster on your behalf. You know, it's interesting because I know there's people hearing that story now saying, you know, well, it's, you know, she caused it because what happened is she went back to work, so they assume she's good to go back to work, so that's why they're trying to cut her off. Whereas you said, the other thing is true, where when you try to mitigate, you know, your, 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 uh, your problem by attempting to go back to work several times, it shows that you want to get better. In fact, it's better for your case than just sitting around doing sweet nothing. Absolutely. And this applies across the board, not only in disability cases, but in in situations where you've been injured because of a car accident or a slip and fall in any other type of of an injury situation. So long as you think that there is a chance that you can go back to work, even part-time or modified duties, and you're able to work something out with the employer, it's not a bad idea to Mm. try and get back to work. And now I'm talking from the standpoint of someone who used to work for insurance companies. Remember, I used to defend insurance companies. And if I had a claim across from me, uh, you know, and and let's say I have two claims. I have two individuals who are disabled uh, and, you know, same fact scenario, same age, same disability, but one of them had tried to go back to work uh, once or twice and and was unsuccessful and the other one hasn't tried once. Well, which one of these do you think I'm going to think is more legitimate? It It doesn't mean that the one who hasn't tried to go back to work 
is not legitimate. It doesn't mean that you know they're 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 just trying to to milk the system. That's that's not what you know what I'm saying. What I'm sure. saying is that, but by you trying to mitigate, you trying to get back on your feet, you are showing that you are doing everything in your power to try and and rectify the situation. And again, that gives you credibility because many of these cases do hinge on credibility. Are you believable? Not only are your doctors supporting you, but do we believe really that you're unable to go back to work? And so in, in that way, I give advice which is a bit different than some lawyers who tell you, you know what, just stay at home, don't do anything. I, I don't prescribe to that school of thought. I actually think that if you think you can go back to work and if your doctors are clearing you to go back to work, or, or if they think that it would be a good idea for you to try to get back to work, then you should try to go back to work. If you're unsuccessful, that only works in your favor. It looks good that you it tried. It looks good. Yeah. It looks, yeah, exactly. It looks like you tried. Got a couple minutes till we break. Let's go to uh, another one, at least get into it anyway, quickly. The other one deals with something that I've been talking about for quite a while now, and it, it's in the context of a slip and fall. You know, we, we just uh, finished a, a winter season, and, uh, you know, the fact that we don't have any snow on the roads right now doesn't mean that you're not going to have people slipping on, on puddles and water if it's raining, uh, uh, you know, in, in stores, in, in malls, etc. So, so this, this case involves an individual. Her name is Susan, and she called me because her mother slipped and fell at a mall uh, in Windsor last week. Uh, she fell at the entrance. Uh, it was wet. There were no caution signs. Uh, I, I guess it was raining there. Her mother is 69 years old. She suffered a pretty bad hip fracture, and I see this a lot with people of that age. Uh, and it's a problem because oftentimes that affects their mobility to the rest of their lives. Uh, and so she was taken to hospital and I got a, and she, she got a call from the adjuster for the insurance company that represents them all. And of course, the adjuster wanted to come by and take a statement. You know how the story goes, oh, John. Yeah. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, you've heard me say never give statements to adjusters, yeah. uh, especially when they represent uh, the insurance company of whoever it is you may be making a claim against. Totally. Because they're all friendly. They're all friendly they're pal, until they're not. Exactly. But, yeah. They're here to try and get as much information as they can from you. Uh, but, you know, if you don't have a lawyer there, if you don't have someone who knows how to, quote unquote, play the game, you may be saying something that is going to come back to haunt you down the road. And I've had situations before uh, where I've come into the picture after the statement was given. Of course, I've, I've asked and received a copy of the statement, and there were certain things that were said. You've damage control now, right? Damage control. Yeah. And it's not to say that my client you know, should not have been telling the truth. Of course, they, they should have been, but some of the questions were completely improper right. and inappropriate. And, and again, if I was there at the time the statement was taken, first of all, I would not have allowed the statement, but even if I had allowed it, I would have controlled the process. And, and this is important for people to understand. It's about controlling the process. It's about understanding what question leads to what answer, to what subsequent question, nice. et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, insurance companies set up their reserves. They set up uh, a, um, a, a file on you once you report a claim because they are interested in figuring out how much they're going to have to pay for that claim down the road. Maybe they're putting a big zero around it because they think they're not responsible. But, you know, that's why they're sending the adjuster out there to take that statement to see uh, if, in fact, they are liable. Well, you know, don't give them all your cards. I mean, that's, that's, that, yeah. that, that's what I'm saying. Make sure that there's someone there with you. We'll expand on that in the language uh, that you're talking about in just a bit after we take a short break. In the meantime, the number is 416-216-5910 and email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here Talk Radio, AM 640. Get a hold of Savan, very simple, 416-216-5910, the insurance lawyer. 
help uh, help at the insurance lawyer.ca rather for the email. And we we're talking about just before the break is, you know, you get that call from the adjuster, you've had a slip and fall or some sort of accident. They're like, we'd like to take a statement from you. And you're saying, you know what? Call me first. Let me deal with that because the language, simple things in language can make a vast difference in the way things are recorded. Give me an example of that. Well, you know, a very simple example is someone who um, walks on a sidewalk or in a parking lot and they've slipped and fell on ice. And, and frankly, there is nothing there that could have caused them to slip other than that ice. Uh, but, you know, when the adjuster uh, comes to the house and they're being very nice and, and they're probing and probing and, you know, perhaps you have someone who uh, doesn't necessarily understand the context of the question. They say, you know what, at the end of the day, I don't actually, I didn't see, you know, the ice underneath my feet, but there was nothing else there. You know, and when you fell down, uh, you know, a whole side of your body was wet. And, you know, when you put your hands down, uh, you know, you, you, you felt ice and you felt snow. But when they ask you, what exa- did you see exactly what you fell on? And you say, well, no, I broke my ankle. That's all I was concerned about. You know, and the ambulance took me. Well, you know, they got that little statement from you that yeah. says, no, I don't know what I fell So now it's ambiguous. It, it, it's amb- yeah, it's ambiguous. And, you know, again, mm-hmm. I can do damage control. But again, wh- why put yourself in a situation where we have to do damage control? Uh, adjusters are there to adjust the claim for the insurance companies. They are there not just to get information, but to be able to see if they can crack the armor, if they can create exposure on you as the individual who makes the claim. What does that mean? It means that if you have a claim for compensation, their job is to reduce it somehow. Save a few shackles for the insurance company, for sure. Exactly. And and once you start a claim, their file is going to be given to a defense lawyer, someone like myself, and that's all we do. We look at these files and we try to make arguments. In, in my case, I try to mar- make arguments why my client is entitled to more money for mm-hmm. compensation. And the other side is trying to make arguments why is my client entitled to less money or none at all. And, you know, again, I call it a game in quotes because mm-hmm. this is how lawyers refer to it. It's like a ping pong game. Sure. You know, that, that, you know we, we, we throw... Uh, we throw the ball to the other side, we, we volley it, and they volley it back. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the arguments and the facts of the case. But again, you want to make sure that you do it right from the beginning. And I can't tell you how many times, John, I've come into the picture either cleaning up after another lawyer who hasn't done their job or an individual who thought they could do it themselves, and they made 1,500 mistakes along the way, some of which I can't rectify. Right. Reminder as well that uh, before uh, Savan opened up this law firm, he did on that side. He was on the other side of the insurance table, so he's got the uh, the full uh, the full quill of armament there. He can uh, defend both, of course, because he's been on both sides. Injury calculator. Tell me more about that. So that's an online database, and it's it's a free tool that is available to the public. And what it does is it allows you, if you were in a car accident or you're in a slip and fall or you were injured in in any way that was caused by someone else's negligence. You can go onto this website anonymously and just input a few key pieces of information, such as what kind of injuries uh, you you suffered, uh, what was the cause of the injury, was it a car accident, Mm. a slip and fall, and and then, you know, it takes you exactly 20, 25 seconds to put the information in, and and the, the calculator tells you an approximation, a range of pain and suffering damages you could be entitled to if you pursue the claim. So, for example, if uh, you know you broke your knee because you slipped and fell, again, it's going to ask you for some specifics, not your name, not your number, it's anonymous, but at the end, it's going to comb through its database, a database of literally thousands of cases from across Canada of similar situations, similar facts, where judges have given opinions as to how much that injury is worth in dollars. 
And that's what the calculator does. It tells you how much is your injuries worth from a compensation standpoint. And again, we're only dealing with pain and suffering. Which can be the small component, really. It can be absolutely the smallest component. And we we, we talk about that, but I still have people who contact me when the calculator says, you know, you could be entitled to $30,000 to $40,000. And after I speak with them, I realize, no, no, their claim is actually worth probably in 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 excess of $500,000 because they haven't been able to go back to their construction job as a result of the accident. And so their income loss claim is so huge. And maybe they have you know, friends and family that are helping them at home because of their injuries. Well, guess what? Those are recoverable expenses too, particularly if the person owes these people the money, right? right? If John, yeah. if you're injured and you can't uh, mow your lawn and you can't do uh, you know, snow shoveling, you're hiring someone or you have a neighbor that you promised to pay, those are out-of-pocket expenses. That gets added on huh. to your claim. So again, there's a lot of of nuances to this, but the purpose of the calculator is to give you a general idea of what from a pain and suffering standpoint. So I'm not talking about economic damages. I'm talking about just your pain and suffering, what uh, your your case may be worth. Got a couple minutes to go on this one. I want to get into the conversation of uh, car accidents because we get to requests all the time to get into that because, hey, we all drive. There's a lot of cars on the road. Happens all the time. But leading into that, I'll get to an email here just before we break from Joanne. You can answer this. It says, I was in a car accident two weeks ago. The other driver made a left-hand turn on a red light and was charged by the police. I'm a bookkeeper, and I haven't been able to go back to work yet. There you go. My boss called me and said that if I can't come back tomorrow, he'll need to find someone else. My doctor says I can't go back to work yet. What can I do? I'm stressed, can't afford uh, to lose this job. Well, Joanna, I can't uh, imagine why you would not be stressed. And, John, this email touches on two issues. One is the employment aspect, which, you know, Lior always talks about. You bet. And we have employment lawyers who can step in when, when uh, it's necessary to help the injured individuals that we deal with on the car accident uh, uh, front. And, and so, Joanne, we can definitely help 100%. First of all, with your employer, generally a letter from one of our employment lawyers will calm the employer uh, down. The, em- the employer c- cannot simply do whatever they want. They have a duty to accommodate. They have a duty to make sure that they keep your job open for you, uh, pending your recovery to modify, provide modified duties, et cetera. Nice. Et cetera. Uh, but from the standpoint of the car accident, you're going to be entitled to income replacement benefits from your own insurance company. Uh, if the other driver made the left-hand turn uh, and was charged, clearly that person is at fault. You're going to have a potentially significant claim against that driver's insurance company. But here's the key. We have to get on this ASAP because you're entitled to certain benefits right now. So let us deal both with the employment side. Let's make sure that nothing happens from a job standpoint, that you don't lose your job, and let us deal with the uh, benefits that you're entitled to from your insurance company and claim the compensation that you're going to be entitled to from the at-fault driver's insurance company. So you see, John, there is a whole bunch of, of items here we have to deal with, and that's the beauty of it. At the firm, we can deal with everything, everything yeah. because we do employment and personal injury law. You got it covered. We'll take a short break. 416-216-5910. That is Savan's number. You'll want to get a hold of him through email anytime. He's got it on him right now. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. You need to get a hold of Savannah. You can do it anytime. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't gone there yet, check out injurycalculator.ca. It's a very useful tool. Let's get into the uh, conversation of car accidents. So when someone's injured in a car accident and uh, they can't work, it's fairly severe. What should they tell their employee? Uh, employer. Employer, pardon me. Yeah, it's a very important question because I see people uh, oftentimes, even my own clients, who disregard my advice and don't tell their employer that they've been injured in a car accident. 
do tell your employer that. I mean, your employer is going to find out because when you make a claim for income replacement benefits, you have to have certain forms filled out mm-hmm. by your employer to just verify income. But, you know, th- there's no, no shame in it. Even if it was your fault, there's no shame in it. You should let your employer know. And by telling your employer that you have been injured as a result of an accident, and it doesn't have to be a car accident, can be a slip and fall, can be something else that, you know, you're injured, uh, that goes, that, that's recorded in your file. But that doesn't work against you. It actually works for you because in a way, it creates a protection for you, right? John, you speak with Lior all the time about people who have a disability, who've been injured. The employer can't simply fire them. Uh, it, it could be a breach of the human rights code, and there's other issues that arise from that. So, you know, from the personal injury context, from a car accident context, imagine that, uh, you know, you told your employer early on, uh, your employer says, okay, you know, we're going to wait to see what happens. And in the meantime, your claim progresses. Let's say you're six months down the road, a year down the road. Uh, we get your, your employee file. And we provide it to the insurance company, mm-hmm. the other insurance company, the one that, you know, for the driver who caused the accident. And they see a notation in your employment file where you notified your employer that you were injured because of the accident. So suddenly we have documentary proof that is contemporaneous nice. with, with when the accident happened, right? Now, what happened in a situation where you just stopped working because of an accident? You didn't tell your employer. The employer doesn't know. The employer ends up firing you because you don't attend at work. Uh, and, and, you know, your employment file doesn't have anything to do. And it doesn't say anything about injuries. So then, you know, let's fast forward. Six months down the road, a year down the road, the file gets provided to the insurance company. They look at the file and they say, hold on for a second. If you really were injured, you would have told your employer. No mention of it. There's no mention. Yeah, they just fired you. So your firing crazy is un- yeah, you it's, it's unconnected then yeah. to your injury. You know, and again, it creates a problem that we now have to diffuse this issue. Yeah. Uh, so, so make sure you tell your employer. It gives you a certain protection and that the employer just can't do whatever they want with you once they know that you are injured and disabled. And it's going to help you in the long run strategically when the employment file is produced to the other side and they see that you actually told your employer. In other words, the injury was severe enough. Being proactive, that, right? Exactly. You yeah. were proactive. You actually told your employer of the injury. 416-216-5910. That's the van's number. So if someone goes, how about this? They're kind of what I call a gray area. They can go back to work on a part-time or modified duties, uh, but they're still injured. Can they still make a claim for pain and suffering? Yes, absolutely. And it goes back to our discussion when we first started the show uh, about, you know, mitigation. Uh, Clearly, someone who has, let's say, worked full time and then after a certain period of time after they were injured, they try to go back to work and perhaps, you know, the employer is accommodating. So they're able to go back on modified duties or modified hours Mm -hmm. uh, or or perhaps part time basis, whatever the arrangement is, the fact that they are working with some kind of a disability because of the injury means that they are entitled to compensation. The question is going to be the extent of compensation. And again, every case is fact-specific. There are nuances to every case. But don't think that just because you went back to work, whether it's modified duties, part-time duties, even even full-time duties, John, there are cases that I have where individuals have gone back to work full-time, but guess what? Before the accident, they used to work 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Now they can only work 40 hours a week. Right, because their back gives out. Well, there's going to be an income loss that we can calculate. We're going to be hiring a forensic accountant down the road that's going to tally up the losses uh, retroactively going back to the date of the accident and forward to the extent that we think that this injury is going to continue on in the long run. So very important to understand the fact that you went back to work doesn't mean that you're not entitled to compensation. I'm not going to say that in every case you're entitled to it, but that's exactly why you should call me or email me 
or go to one of the websites that you've mentioned because you can just, you know, you can simply ask those questions for free and I'll answer those. And if they try to go back, it doesn't work, need more time off, they're going to feel guilty about it, but that's okay too. Yeah, It's okay too. And again, goes back to what we discussed before. They try to mitigate. The other yeah. side cannot now say you never tried. The yeah, fact that they tried. and did nothing, yeah, right? And, yeah. and, and guess what? It's going to be recorded in the HR file with the employer. So no one's going to say, you know what, John, you were just sitting on your duff. You're doing absolutely nothing, just waiting to collect a check. That's not the case. You've tried to get back on the horse. You were unsuccessful. Get to a, uh, an email here if you want to send us one. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. George from Oshawa writes in, says, I was in a car accident. There you go. Last week in the 401. I was struck from the side by a taxi cab who was trying to change lanes. Both my son and I were injured and taken to hospital. Can the same lawyer represent both people? Interesting question. Very interesting question. And again, very fact specific. And I'm not saying that as a cop out. I'm just saying that generally speaking, you want to avoid as a lawyer representing the same people who were injured in the car accident. Uh, but, but normally where I see a conflict happening is let's say you're making a left hand turn. Someone is coming the other way. There is a collision. And uh, I have both the driver of the vehicle that's, uh, that's been hit coming to see me as well as the passenger of that same vehicle. Yep. The problem is that there may be a claim in that situation against both the other car, the other driver, as well as the driver of our vehicle. So I'm very, very cognizant and, and very careful in, in not acting for individuals who potentially have claims against each other. And I know that there's other lawyers out there who simply say, ah, the heck with it. You know what? That's against law society regulations, the ethical rules by which we practice, not something that I, I tell people to do. In this case, George, uh, so you were struck from the side by the taxi cab who were trying to change lanes. You and your son were injured. Uh, so I would have a few questions for you. I would want to know, uh, first of all, if the other uh, driver was charged. I would want to know more facts about how this accident happened. Was there any way for you to avoid the collision? Mm-hmm. Because if there was a way for you to avoid the collision, even a, a 10% chance of avoidance, your son potentially could have a claim against you, which means your insurance company really? would trigger it. Yeah, exactly. So th- this just goes to the heart of what I'm saying, that it's so crucial from the outset to make sure that you get the right legal advice. Because you know, John, if you don't, and you have the same lawyer representing two people who may have claims against each other, and they haven't been advised of that, and they haven't waived their right to the conflict, you know, because mm-hmm. p- people can say, you know, I have, okay, I've, I've, I understand that there's a conflict, uh, but I'm waving it. Yeah, I like I, I, I like the cut of his jib. I want right. to use it for everything. Gotcha. And I've had yeah. clients, by the way, who said that. You know, they say, and I would try to dissuade them from it right. because I don't want them to take a discount on a settlement. But if they really want to go with me, with my team, that's fine. I have no issue as long as they're going in there with open eyes and they've been explained everything. So, but you know, then again, you have a situation drawn where. You have Joe going down the street, stopping at a red light, gets rear-ended by a truck, uh, and in Joe's car, there were three other passengers. Can those three passengers and the driver hire the same lawyer to represent them? I don't see any reason why not. I mean, how would the driver be at fault here? If yeah. there if there was any way to show that the driver of the Joe was at fault, then I would not take Joe's case and the other three passengers. But in this case, you know, as long as, as fault rests 100% with the other side, okay. I don't see a conflict. But again, very important to get the right legal advice from the outset. Want to expand on that when we come back, because I'm sure people are scratching their head going, what, the son has a claim against the father? Sounds a little uh, a little weird, but we'll, uh, we'll do that for sure. 416-216-5910, that's Savan's number, and the email I keep pumping out there, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here, Talk Radio, AM 640. 
The number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savant Tamarkin here to answer all your questions. Throw us some emails and you can call him anytime. He's got that phone on him 24-7. I suggest him. Four four thirty in the morning, really good time to kill. He wouldn't mind that. At, he wouldn't mind oh, that be at careful, all. John. You, you know, you know that I respond back <laughs> at that time of day. You know that. That's why, right? So before the break, you mentioned uh, you know a car accident using the same lawyer for all occupants or both occupants in the car, and you kind of slipped in there something that I thought was weird. And I know we get emails about this all the time. That is, depending on the. Uh, the way the accident was structured, who's at fault, who's not. If you have, a, say, a father and a son that were hit from another car and there's any chance that a, a tiny bit of the uh, the fault could be with the father, the son may have a claim against the father. How but, does that even work? Well, it's a good question and it's so counterintuitive right. for, for anyone listening that's not a, practicing in this area of law uh, and just the general public. So let me give you a, a, a simple example, something that uh, I can Or a just husband see. and wife or exactly, whatever, right? Exactly. So yeah. let's, let's use that for a second. So you have a husband and wife driving in the car and let's say it's a single car collision. There's no one else that's involved. But the husband right. screwed up, I don't know, didn't pay attention, Ran into was pole. texting, exactly, yep. doing something. There's an accident, the wife is injured. Of course, you know, they're asking me, are we entitled to compensation? Well, first of all, both of them would be entitled to accident benefits from their own insurance company, from the automobile insurance company. Okay. Okay. Uh, then the question becomes, okay, well, what about the passenger who was not driving? Clearly, the driver was at fault, but what about the passenger? But the passenger is the wife. How can the wife possibly have a claim against the husband? Remember that the husband has automobile insurance. Remember that if the wife is injured, yes, she's claiming against the husband, but what's get, what gets triggered here is the automobile policy. So in other words, who ends up paying for the claim? The insurance company. This is why we all have insurance. I'm not advocating that if you're in a, in, in a fender bender, you start suing everyone and claiming everything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the mere fact that you're driving with your husband, your wife, your cousin, your aunt, your friend... If they did something wrong and as a result you were injured, you are entitled to advance that claim, and I'm going to say against them, except that it's not really, it, it is them on paper, but it's their insurance company that is going to pony yeah. up the money. And, and again, it's interesting. you're not doing anything improper. The law allows for that. So when we, you and I, John, drive in a car, and I'm driving, and I screw up, and I'm negligent, and you're injured... You're not making a claim against me because you hate me. It's because you are entitled to compensation from my insurance company. So people out there need to understand that, you know, if you are in the same car, so what? If the driver of that vehicle did something wrong, you are entitled to compensation and that's going to get paid by whoever was at fault for it, their insurance company. Now, in a case like uh, we were just talking about, let's say you have two cars, one of which is at fault. But let's say there, there, is, there is fault on both sides. Let's say both drivers of driver A and driver B are both at fault, but there is a passenger in one of the vehicles. That passenger would have a claim for compensation from both the insurance company of driver A and the insurance company of driver B. Okay, very important to understand the fact that you are in a single car collision or the fact that the driver of your car is negligent doesn't mean you can't make a claim against them. You 100% can make a claim against them so long as you have legitimate injuries and they are provable. We'll take this under the advisement of don't take it personally, honey. Don't That's where it, it'll come from. Right? Absolutely, 100%. We get uh, questions about long-term disability as well. We'll get into uh, that topic here as we uh, we continue on the show. When someone is denied or cut off from long-term disability, LTD, does it matter if they're unionized or non-unionized employees? Because this is big in the employment side. It but. is. It's, 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 yeah, exactly. And Lior talks about uni- unionized employees or not. Uh, yes, in, in LTD, in long-term disability, it's important as well. Why? 
Because oftentimes where somebody is unionized, uh, well, not oftentimes, they have to abide by the collective agreement. Mm -hmm. The collective agreement is the agreement the employer has, and by virtue of the employer having it, all the employees subsumed under it have it with the employer, but not only with the employer. Some collective agreements contain provisions that detail what long-term benefits you are entitled to. But some of these collective agreements also state that any issues arising from the collective agreement, long-term disability included, must be arbitrated, must be dealt with through the collective agreement. So much like an employment situation, if you have a collective agreement, if you're unionized and you are on LTD or, or you've been cut off of LTD or you've been dan- denied LTD, we have to examine the collective agreement to see if we can act for you. And by the way, oftentimes we can act for you because really? oftentimes the collective no. agreement doesn't talk about LTD. But we have to make sure that we do that, that we look into it, because in the event that it is subsumed, it is covered under the collective agreement, you may have no recourse but to go through the union. But unlike in the employment context that Lior talks about, uh, if the collective agreement does not talk about LTD or talks about it in a very superficial way, oftentimes we can get around it and we can help you despite the fact that you are unionized. Yeah, because in the employment side, as you know, it's a unanimous no. Exactly. You know, it's, all exactly. The, it's all the but bargaining agreement. It's not right? always the case with LTD. Wow, in LTD, no we have to actually review the collective agreement, and oftentimes it takes us a few minutes just to locate the correct provisions. And we can just tell you even over the phone uh, or via email if, in fact, uh, we can help you or not. And again, you you, you want to make sure that um, you know that that you have a copy of your collective agreement, and you can just get that from your uh, union rep. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten. Help the insurance lawyer We'll get to a. Uh, I guess a quick email here. we got a minute or two left in this one. Uh, Daniel from Cornwall says, I've been on long-term disability for the past three and a half years, and now the insurance company says that there is insufficient medical proof that I'm still disabled. They said that they uh, will issue me payments until the end of the year, and then I'll be on my own. What can I do? Well, that's interesting that you've been, uh, Daniel, for three and a half years on LTD, and now they're saying yeah. that there isn't sufficient proof. And I say it's interesting because in, in most policies that I've seen, uh, the, the the change in definition of total disability comes after two years. Right. So clearly, if, if your policy contains that same type of, of language, then clearly they've deemed you to be totally disabled beyond the two-year mark. So now for them to come back and say there's insufficient medical proof, I'm sort of scratching my head and questioning why they're saying that. What I would want to do, Daniel, is get in touch with you, see what medical documents you've provided to them. Oftentimes, when an insurance company comes back and says, there's insufficient medical documentation, oftentimes that's not the case, at least from my experience. Again, not going to paint every adjuster and every insurance company with the sure. same brush, but in my experience, that's just not, it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't hold water. And in this case, for three and a half years, clearly you had sufficient medical documentation. What's changed now? Daniel, I... Contact me. I'm pretty sure that we can get this resolved fairly quickly. 416-216-5910 is that number. Daniel, email as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We continue with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 is the number to get a hold of Savannah and his firm anytime. It's right on his hip, actually. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email address. We're talking uh, long-term disability and questions that come through. So someone became disabled uh, when they were employed and subsequently lost a job or were let go. Can they still apply for LTD even though they're no longer with the employer or perfect, employed? Perfect question. Yes. Yes. How? So so, so this is this is the, th- the, the, the key thing here. LTD policies... Uh, you know, you need to be, 
the disability has to have uh, arisen while you were covered under the plan. Right. So it, it's you know the issue of whether you're employed or not is not at play here. The issue is were you covered at the time that you became disabled? And so oftentimes you have situations where people who are actually let go, they're given notice, but their benefits continue on, and then they they, they, they get disabled or something happens. Well, guess what? They are still uh, still covered under the plan. And and if you are covered under the plan where disability arose, that's when the policy gets triggered. So don't assume that because you're no longer employed that you're not entitled to LTD. If your disability arose when you had the coverage, then the policy will be triggered, which means that you're going to be entitled to compensation. So you might be off on, they might have you know, let you go and it's still covered under your benefits for, say, a year. And Correct. you become disabled in that time. Yeah, I mean, think about wow. it this way. If you are covered, then you are covered. Nice. I mean, that, that, that's really the issue. If you're not covered, right, if, you're, if you've lost your job and disability arose after the coverage expired for whatever reason, then no, you're not going to be entitled to it. Yeah. But if you were covered and, and it happened while you were covered, well, then, yeah, you were covered. But a lot of people think, oh, no, I'm no longer employed. Therefore, I can no longer make a claim. i got to be walking no. through the door every day to be covered at work. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's no. not the case. 416-216-5910. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got an email. We'll get to you from uh, Glenn. Richmond Hill says, I slipped and fell at a restaurant because of a wet floor near the washroom about uh, three months ago. Broke my back and was in hospital for a few weeks. My mom is coming every day to help me at home and bring me food. I'm paying her cash for her gas because she has to drive 20 minutes to get me there and back. Uh, can I get reimbursed for that? I think we know the answer to that one. Yeah, you can definitely get reimbursed for that. And, uh, you know, of course, this is a significant injury. So the reimbursement that you're seeking uh, is actually nothing compared to what you potentially could be getting as compensation. <clears throat> now, it's very important, John, for people to understand that when I talk about compensation, I'm not talking about, again, uh, milking the system. This is not what this is about. Uh, there's legislation in place to protect consumers, to protect people who are walking into a store, onto a mall. If you have suffered an injury as a result of someone's negligence, uh, Glenn, just, just like you have here, if you're telling me there was a wet, uh, wet floor near the washroom, uh, you know, I mean, clearly that it, it should have been maintained. There should have been signs. There should have been something done. I'm not saying that automatically you're going to be entitled to compensation. In fact, a lot of people contact us, John, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. And when I speak with them and find out more facts, I tell them, look, I actually don't think you're going to be entitled to compensation because I don't see anything wrong that was done by the other side. But, yep. you know, if, in fact, someone did do something wrong, and I'm not talking about doing it intentionally, they, you know, they just neglected to maintain the area, they neglected to take care of it, protocols were not followed, there were deficient protocols, there were no uh, warning signs, there was nothing there, yeah, there's going to be negligence, and then we look at what injuries flow from that negligence. So, you know, keep in mind, when you're settling with an insurance company, when they uh, pay out for compensation... They're not paying out because they want to pay out. They pay out because they know that the law mandates that they must pay out. Because if they don't, they take the risk of going all the way to court, paying their lawyers, and then paying a big judgment. Now, that's not to say that every person who goes to court, you know, comes out a winner. This is not Vegas. Uh, but that said, insurance companies are in the business of resolving these disputes because they're costly for them. And uh, they would not be doing that unless the law was there to protect you as the individual who was injured. You know, it's, uh, when you talk about malls and slip and falls on ice in that time of the year, it's, it's so important as well. I know you've said this too. Whenever you slip and fall, if you keep your, uh, keep your head straight, get pictures. 
get photographic evidence of everything, right? Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, just recently, uh, somebody that we know through the firm that actually works with us, not, not an employee, but one of the people who works with us at the firm, uh, his, his wife was recently in a trip and fall. She was in a parking lot and uh, there was a deficiency in the pavement and, and she fractured her ankle and, mm. and it was a pretty bad injury and it didn't help the fact that she was uh, nine months pregnant and, you know, she had to have screws put in. Anyways, it's a terrible situation. And so I told him, I said, listen, did you take photos of, uh, of the area? And not only did he take photos, John, he took photos with a measuring tape. He went back there wow. and he knew exactly where it happened. And, and we saw that the, uh, the deficiency there, the crack was about two inches high. No question that there is liability here. The, the landlord would have known about this. There were cracks all over the place. Probably because of winter, right? Yep. But the fact is, someone was injured, badly injured. Hopefully, the baby's okay. I, th- I think the baby's okay. Uh, but, but, you know, there's no question here. So, yes, here, here's a situation where now that we have timely photos, and I'm not talking about photos two years from now, when you can't establish that the state of disrepair was the same as yep. at the time of the accident. We're talking about literally within hours or within days. In this case, because we have those photos, because we have uh, the, the measurements, there's going to be very little chance for the other side to argue that they're not at fault. It's going to be a question of how much money they're going to pay this lady for the injury that she suffered that's going to plague her for the rest of her life now. If you don't have the benefit of pictures, where do you guys start? Like as, as a lawyer, as a firm, what, what do you do? Say, oh, great, we've got to prove this somehow. We try to get as much information from the individual as possible. Oh. Uh, sometimes we'll go ourselves to the area. Uh, if it's a car accident, I may go to the intersection or to the area just to get an idea. We'll go on Google um, maps and, and yeah. Google Street, Google Earth Street or whatever, View. Google Street View. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, pictures, you know, they, they, they say a thousand words. I mean, it's yeah. really, really key. I have a case ongoing right now. I'm not going to give you too many details about it because uh, it's ongoing. But uh, my client uh, uh, slipped and fell uh, on, on, on a uh, sidewalk in a uh, residential complex. And uh, it was on ice. But the major issue is that there was a light right side of the house a street light that was not working. And there is a dispute now as to whether or not it was actually working or not. Well, guess what? One of my client's sons actually took a photograph the day up, the morning of, when it was still dark outside, and you can see that the light was not working. Nice. I mean, that's a nail in the coffin of the other side, right? I mean, they're not going to be able to argue that this thing was, was working. So again, pictures are worth a thousand words. Don't forget to take them. And now, you know, with iPhones, with with the uh, gadgets that we have, take videos, take photos. Totally. I mean, Everybody's got it with everything. them. Nobody has a watch anymore. Everyone's got a phone. Absolutely. So, yeah, you it's have just, it at your fingertips. It, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't stress that, how important that is. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll kick off the next segment with another email and get into some slip and fall conversation as well as we continue with the injury insurance and injury law show right here at Talk Radio, May 640. So man's number is simple, 416-216-5910. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Mentioned email we'll get to. And uh, Monica gets a luck of the draw. She's from Hamilton. She writes in, says, I slipped and fell as I left a grocery store last January. There was no salt on the ground. I broke my ankle and bruised the whole right side of my body. I had surgery on my ankle and had screws put in it. I tried to contact the grocery store a few times, but no one's returning my call. Big shock. Is there something else I can do here? Uh, yes, Monica, call me and you'll get a call back uh, immediately. Uh, no, listen, they are they are probably freaked out. Uh, I'm assuming you notified them of the incident uh, the day of or someone did. Uh, they're likely aware of what's happened. They were probably told by their insurance company uh, to just keep mom and not say anything. 
I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to get uh, a call from an adjuster for that insurance company who's probably going to ask you if they can come over to take a statement, uh, which brings us uh, you know, full circle to the beginning yeah. of the show, uh, John. So, so, Monica, there's no question here, in my mind at least, that based on what you're telling us, that uh, there's going to be some liability on them. I don't know to what extent. You're, telling, you, you know, you're saying that there was no salt. We need to verify that through their logs. Uh, oftentimes in these situations, the grocery stores, parking lots, malls, they hire third parties. There are people who are contracted out yeah. to carry out the winter maintenance, whether it's snow shoveling, whether it's, it's you know, putting uh, salt or sand. So very, very important to contact us immediately. Uh, you know, it, you're mentioning a broken ankle. And I just, you know, uh, finished talking about this uh, individual who works with our firm whose wife just suffered also a similar injury. Broken ankles are extremely common and, you know, they're problematic injuries. Uh, it's a fragile joint, right? It's a very Weight fragile bearing. joint. Exactly. And the thing is, though, you're going to have issues down the road. Maybe it's stabilized now. There's going to be likely arthritis, osteoarthritis. I'm not saying you're going to have that. I'm saying that in most of my cases, when I seek doctors' opinions, specialists' opinions, you know, that's what they say. So extremely important. If you've suffered an injury like that, give me a call, send me an email. I'll tell you what to do. You don't yeah. have to hire us. You don't have to do any, but at least you'll know what the options are. I'll tell you one, two, three, what you need to do. Uh, and, and you know, you'll, you, you'll be the wiser. I mean, you'll know exactly what your options are, and then you can decide how you want to proceed. You know, Monica, assume she's listening. This is a good one to segue into this to, uh, to wrap up the show, and that would be, once again, the injury calculator. So, Monica, there we go. We're going to assume she's, let's say, 40. Maybe she's 90. Right. Let's say she's 40. Slip and fall grocery store. There you are. She's got a broken ankle, had screws in it. So let's run that through the injury calculator. What do you think? Well, John, I actually don't have a computer in front of me, but I can tell you that uh, ballpark. ballpark, uh, So I'm telling you ballpark just based on experience, Mm -hmm. depending on the severity and the prognosis uh, of the injury, you can easily be looking at 20, 30, 40, even $50,000. But keep in mind, that's just for pain and suffering. Okay. If you're unable to work, your damages could be in the six figures, maybe even higher. So very, very important to understand. Go to the injurycalculator.ca. You'll get just a ballpark idea, a range of damages. Because you put in basic information, you know, your age, where the injury was, so and, and so forth. And keep in mind, right? it's anonymous. It's right. not like you're going to be asked to, to reveal anything. No. If you want to click the final button at the end to say submit, you want to consult with me directly, by all means, you can do that. You don't have to. But this is going to give you an idea of what you could be looking at if you seek a claim for compensation. It's an amazing tool. It amazing. really is cool. and, and as far as I know, again, there's nothing like it in Canada. Now, if you didn't get a chance to email us or, uh, or contact Savannah during the show, mydisabilityquestions.com as well, right? Absolutely, and that's a fantastic source. I get those, and I will answer those, John, at 4.30 in the morning. You just said it, pal, not me. I just threw it out there. I know, I know. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> that's right. We'll uh, take it down for another week. We will return next weekend. In the meantime, you have any questions for Savannah, you can reach him uh, anytime you heard it. 416-216-5910 is that magic number, and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.